I'm Steve Fisher. For almost his entire life, Paul Brownstein has had a love affair with television. With a particular penchant for classic TV, he spent his adulthood finding, restoring, and packaging long-lost shows. He's been dubbed the Raider of the Lost Archives, and he's my guest on Life Slices. We're here with Paul Brownstein today, who is known as the Raider of the Lost Archives. Paul, I'm going to ask you, who is Paul Brownstein, and how did you get that title? Paul Brownstein is someone who's been in television pretty much all my life, and in one way or another. There was a publicist named Lee Salters, and he handled Barbara Streisand for the first 32 years of her career. He handled Frank Sinatra and Michael Jackson, but his longest-running client was Carol Channing. And I used to tease him that he kept Carol Channing a star on four pieces of material. Just Two Little Girls from Little Rock, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, Cicely Sisson, the, private, the silent movie star, and Hello, Dolly. She had four pieces of material, basically 15 to 20 minutes of material, and he kept her a star for 50-something years. So he wrote me a bio at one point, and the headline was Raider of the Lost Archives, because I had just found Richard Burton's Hamlet, which was a lost film, and at that point, it was a lost Rat Pack, the only film of them actually performing together. And I said, well, isn't that kind of tacky? And Lee said, and he got, he, I mean, got red in the face. He said, oh, yeah? Did Frank say, oh, old Blue Eyes' back is tacky? And then he said, and did Michael Jackson say, oh, no, Lee, you can't call me the king of pop? And at that point, I, there's no answer to that. None. Both of those are his, by the way. How did your interest in old TV titles get started? I grew up watching television, and these shows were gone. And at some point, somebody called me, a clearance person, and said, uh, you interested in doing something with the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, which I had loved on the air. It was a major piece of television history. And so I went to lunch with Tommy Smothers. And he said, well, what would you do with these shows? I said, well, I cut them to half hours and put them on cable. And he said, well, what does that mean? I said, it means you'll never hear your brother sing another fucking song. <laughs> and his eyes lit up, and I got the rights to this Mother's Brother Comedy Hour, which I put on E, and what I'm proudest of is we restored all of the material that CBS had cut, like Harry Belafonte singing while well, there's film of the Chicago riots, Chicago, Chicago convention, and all the police beating up people. And there was uh, D David Steinberg's sermonette, which was the last piece. When I did it for DVD, again, one of the things I found in boxes, these yellow, remember carbon paper? Oh, yeah. They had carbon paper from Discovery when they sued CBS for firing them. The lawyer, their longtime lawyer, said, as long as it doesn't say privileged and confidential, I'm welcome to do whatever I want with it because it was part of it. So with each episode in the booklet for the DVD set um, were the CBS memos 
of what they had to take out and internal CBS memos going to the president of the network of what they did, how they wouldn't let them have the script and they wouldn't give them a tape until right before it aired instead of turning it in you know, Friday right after they recorded the show. And all of that was just lovely to behold. <laughs> Piece of history. So now you mentioned clearance. Explain mm-hmm. what clearance is. Is that the biggest challenge of your work? It's the second biggest. Clearance is when you run particularly a clip or an old show, you have to get cleared with these are off network shows and no one stepped foot on a stage at CBS Television City or NBC Burbank without having signed an AFTRA contract, a performers union, standard engagement contract. And my position has been for many years, and I got away with this, hey, they had to have signed one. If we don't have one, do you? And so all of the provisions apply. And in the only exceptions were on the Smothers Brothers, Irving Fine, who was the manager of Jack Benny and... Uh, George Burns on the back wrote in no reruns. But since I had a copy, Irving didn't. Um, I knew that because I knew Irving and neither did Aftra. Um, nobody, he didn't say a word. And one of their best pieces was, ladies and gentlemen, the Smothers Brothers. And on the set to the music, Jack Benny and George Burns came out with the guitar and the bass. It was a wonderful piece. For clips, you're supposed to get permission from the performers, but that has changed in recent years. You just have to pay them. And that's what clearances. My late wife did clearances, and she did the clearances for Disney on those specials they did with Lost and uh, Desperate Housewives. And that was more complicated. Screen Actors Guild required them to even find the stuntmen. At one point in, I think it was Lost, there was the arm of a stuntman and they had to get the stunt coordinator to identify whose arm was in the shot. It was that detailed. So I deal with the unions. The biggest challenge is music clearance. That's why you don't see these shows. Cher asked, how come the Sonny and Cher show was on DVD and hers wasn't? And I said, well, you remember when Bette Midler was on? She said, yeah, we did a song called Trashy Ladies. I said, that wasn't a song. It was a medley of 19 copyrighted pieces of music, other songs. And she says, what does that mean? I said, it means that if you would like to write a check for $3 per copy to every person who bought one to the music publishers, we'll be happy to release it. And the royalty was a buck something. (laughs) That was the end of that. Because you have to pay for DVD, you have to pay per song. A feature film, the music is cleared in perpetuity. These shows were cleared for broadcast. So when you put them in what they call supplemental markets, what happens is the music has to be re-cleared. And the performers, instead of getting the rerun fee that they would get for television, get a tiny percentage divided among all of them. And on Midnight Special, we had a marathon on VH1. And a guy from the band Los Lobos saw the shows running and he knew that every time the show was rerun on NBC, he got $200, $300. And he went and put a down payment on a Cadillac 
And then the check came and it was 45 bucks for all the plays. <laughs> I'm guessing that didn't go very far on the Cadillac. But I was the one who had to explain it to him and it wasn't pretty. <laughs> I'm sure. Let me give you one more. I got a call from a guy who said, I played in Nelson Riddle's orchestra and you didn't send me a check for episode 103 or something. And I said, well, on that particular show, not on a lot of them, I have the original orchestra report that I got from the William Morris files. And that's how we paid. I guess, you know, you weren't on it is all I can say. And he said, well, we got the show as a wedding present. My wife was on it also. The only thing I missed was show 102 for my honeymoon. I was back for show 103. I said, but you're not on the list. The guy said, I have my appointment book from 1967. I go, you got it. <laughs> he and his wife got their $18.75 each check. You said that clearances are only the, the your second biggest challenge. What's the first? Oh, I said music. Clearing oh, mu the music. The music is, is... Relicensing the music. So at video, it was 10 cents per song, which when you have 15 or 20 songs, forget a medley more money than the royalty and for dvd in the interim it's gone up to like 15 16 cents per song which makes it impossible but for streaming the negotiations are still going on and the publishers are not easy and the amount of money they want per song is more than a show an older show makes because we're not talking about american idol you know so what was the smothers brothers the very first show you did yes and then the Smothers Brothers, they called me in at William Morris Agency, which handled the Smothers, and they said, would you like to have Sonny and Cher? We also have the rights to that. I said, sure. So I put Sonny and Cher together, and it was in Variety that I got the rights. We heard from Cher's manager. And so a meeting was set up at Nibbler's Coffee Shop on Wilshire Boulevard. And I show up for the meeting, and funny enough, Lee Salter's was at the cash register buying his Danish. He, he went over to the table with me because he knew the players. The players were Sonny's former road manager, representing Sonny, and representing Cher was her former manager, Bill Samoth, and a man named Joe DiCarlo, who was the original manager of Sonny and Cher. He was Cher's you know, rabbi for many years. And, and in the 50s, he was Mickey Cohen's right hand, and his nickname was Bullets. Wait, explain who Mickey Cohen was, because I'm sure- Mickey Cohen was the mo head mobster for the mafia in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Nice guy. Nice guy. So we sat there and renegotiated their divorce settlement. Now, one of the reasons they got divorced, Cher found out that Cher Enterprises, their company that owned the music and everything, he owned 95% and she owned 5%. So this was a very uh, acrimonious divorce, and it was settled that they're 50-50. Now, the problem is, and the settlement was, instead of waiting till the end of the year when she got the I Got You Babe money, I was permitted to pay her separately, split the money when I paid which was a big accommodation. It got to show me to get the shows. I put them on Nick at night. It was great. Then I got the share shows, which are just wonderful. They're just wonderful. 
she's fabulous. And that was on for two years, and Sonny had the Sonny Comedy Review on ABC, which lasted 13 weeks. In 1976, she hired him to redo Sonny and Cher, only this time he was her paid employee. And they wow. did two seasons with divorce jokes. Today, I'm guessing things have gotten a little more difficult with today's shows since everybody realizes the value of content and mm -hmm. all these streamers and studios, yeah. networks are keeping the rights for themselves. Is, is, so is that the shows that I No, the shows that I have, the reason I have them is they're not owned by the studios or the networks. Most people think the networks own the show. Back then, the artist owned the copyright. William Morris made those deals, and, but nothing was done. Again, they sat there because of the clearances involved. Nobody, syndicators didn't really do anything. So I got the rights to these shows and that representing the artists. Yeah. When you get a show and you, you get the rights to something and you're going to repackage it for mm -hmm. whatever, yeah. how long does it take? For you to do that, what's what's the process involved in taking an old show and making it viable for today's audiences? Well, the first thing you do is you start by getting the original two-inch master tapes, if they have them. And then you transfer them to digital, simply by making a digital copy. The digi, back it was D2, now it's, it was DigiBeta. And so you call that digitally remastered. Nice sounding word. And then the contracts don't exist for most, for 90% of them. We're lucky they have the tapes. For the director and writer, you can look at the credits and that's easy. The musician, you see the name of the orchestra music director and the AFM, American Federation of Musicians, can tell you who was in the second trumpet chair on the Ed Sullivan show in 1959. They got it down. The AFTRA, Something happened to the records, and they really can't tell you, and they don't have it. And now, when it merged with SAG, it's great, except they've merged the database, and there are artists like Tody Fields, great comedian, but she was never in a movie or a sitcom as a guest star. They didn't have her in the in the system at all. Most of these people, Jack Carter, they never got residuals. They were in the after payroll, but some of them didn't end up. The Musicians Union, as good as they were, did not have Dizzy Gillespie as a member. That's the only time they didn't come through. So that's what we do. Has anybody surprised you in not wanting their stuff to be released? Last year, I discovered that there was a Bob Newhart variety show in 1961-62, and it was on NBC. From Bob, I got three quarters. That's all he had. And the three quarters were of kinescopes, which is a film that was made by pointing a movie camera at a television screen. And I looked at them and I thought they were really cool. And I was going to call it the Lost Bob Newhart Show. And Bob wasn't comfortable in releasing them. I can share that. And I spoke to him around New Year's and he's going to look at them again. But that surprised me. And there are other people who don't like Tommy Smothers. If anybody came up to him when we did E, Tommy would say, 
Well, those were in our good shows. Our good shows were the 88 season. That was funnier. If you like them, go tell Paul this was his idea. Now, when you have, like in the Bob Newhart situation, and you have kinescopes, how mm-hmm. do you make those palatable for watching today? Because they're not the, the greatest quality. And it depends on the quality of the television set that they were pointing the camera at. But all I can say is we do our best. There's a new technology that comes as part of the Da Vinci. Now, the first time I saw the Da Vinci was at a place called Complete Post, which was the Rolls Royce of editing houses. And I was there editing a Showtime special with the legendary director, Dwight Hamian, who was arguably the best variety director ever. And he was called upstairs to audio and he took me with him and there was Barbara Streisand. And they were color correcting using the Da Vinci, which then was just, you know, this major $500,000 machine because she had had a sucrets before the concert and they were color correcting her tongue. (laughs) Being Barbara Streisand, the payoff to that story is she chose not to use that concert, that particular concert, after all the work and thousands of dollars went down. Da Vinci is what I'm now using for editing as of last month instead of Avid, which is the standard. And the Da Vinci has still all the bells and whistles of the color correcting. And so I will be taking the new kinescopes I'm working on, which include the This Is Your Life library, and enhancing the video and doing some audio cleanup to make them as good as we can. When you have something like This Is Your Life, because I know there is a, a reboot with Jay Leno that's on air now. Mm-hmm. Does that complicate things? Do people want to keep the old versions of the shows off air? The old versions have never been rerun. A couple were syndicated in the 70s when they did a new version hosted by Joe Campanella, which has people like Isabel Sanford and people who were more 70s names aren't coming to me those shows on tape there were some of the kinescopes released and they did do a dvd some years ago a best of but the shows really haven't been seen the jay leno show doesn't compete in any way because i misspoke he does his version is you bet your life not that's okay i have those that show also (laughs) doesn't i I figured it doesn't (laughs) I mean, Jay Leno is Jay Leno, but he's not Groucho, and the show is not the same show because that he does a different kind of interview. That show was two normal people, and an example was uh, some lady is there. They were normal people out of the audience. And by the way, Groucho was cued like in a bowling alley when they have above where they'd write scores and things. Uh-huh. That's how there was no prompter. That's how they cued Groucho. Groucho, they would take a grease pencil and write on one of those bowling things above him. But, oh, contestant, the famous one, said, um, how how many children do you have? I have nine children, Groucho. Well, how do you have nine children? She goes, I love my husband, Groucho. And Groucho said, I love my cigar, too, but I take it out of my mouth once in a while. (laughs) Yes. And didn't that get him kicked off air for a while? I don't think so. Who is the market? 
for these kinds of shows today. Guys like us grew up with a lot of this stuff. Kids today don't even know who a lot of these people are. Kids today don't know who Ed Sullivan or Johnny Carson is. Yeah. Or was. Mm-hmm. The market is basically older. Let's be real. It's older people. It's people who know their parents watched it or they've heard of Groucho Marx and want to check it out. The variety shows the audience is gay people, men. I mean, it's Judy Garland's 100th anniversary this year. And CBS is marking it or has marked it with the Sunday show interviewing Liza Minnelli and Michael Feinstein for nine minutes a couple of weeks ago. That's all CBS is going to do. Frank Sinatra's 100th birthday was a big deal. He is Sinatra. He's the only one, the only one who crosses generations and will be around 100, 200 years from now because you can't replace that. And the recordings stand on their own. Were there any celebrities that you have worked with over the years that surprised you in their demeanor when you met them? Were they nicer than you expected, not as nice as you expected? In 1975, when I first came out here, I used to walk. You could walk into a studio acting like you knew where you're going. There was no security. I used to go to shows. And a couple of my friends were doing warm-ups. So I went to Chico and the Man, and I would have dinner with the cast. And then they were going to do the air show, and dress rehearsal and dinner. And I would go home, and when I met Billy Crystal later, he thought I worked on soap because he had seen me. And I used to have dinner at Hollywood Squares a lot because the guests had worked with me at the Mike Douglas show and at talk show in New York. I did AM New York. So I knew a lot of the people. I had a friend who worked there. It was a hot meal. You know, unemployment paid $95 a week. But I walked in to a rehearsal of the Dick Van Dyke had a show called Van Dyke and Company, a variety show. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there in the front row and sits next to me and says, hi, I'm Dick Van Dyke. And I go, I know. I'm Paul Brownstein. Nice to meet you. Just that's who he was and is. Just generous. And I now have the rights. I syndicate the Dick Van Dyke show. That's what we call in my family, the gift that keeps on living, give, giving from the William Morris agency. <laughs> um, and the truth is, I got to be really close with Carl Reiner. And we did five specials, Dick Van Dyke, now in living color for CBS. Carl sat next to me and we edited the first one. But the interesting thing, the first one we did, my wife, her name is Catherine Parnello, and she grew up in show business. Her dad was one of the leading um, orchestrators writing charts for People's Act. Mm-hmm. And so like Rosemary Clooney would come into the house. Frank was there because they were friends from the early days. He didn't do charts for Frank, I don't think. But he did charts for just about it. He did all of Vic Damone, all of Jack Jones. And so she grew up in Las Vegas. He conducted for Tom Jones and Frank. Catherine said, you guys are stupid. No woman, especially Laura Petrie, would leave the house with 
black shoes and a brown purse. The second, starting with the second special, we gave her the title Living Color Producer, which CBS actually approved. It's an unheard of, made, made up title. And she would do things like uh, find the 1965 Sears Roebuck catalog to pick the color of Rob's pajamas and the sheets. <laughs> and she would say, that's a Chanel suit. Chanel never made clothes in that color of pink. Or Rosemary's bathrobe. It's, it's just not right. That's not what a bathrobe would have looked like in the 50s. My mother had pink. It wasn't that kind of pink. And she really busted their chops, the color people. But the funny thing is, she doesn't have a computer. She actually did this work on her iPhone. <laughs> but I'm real proud of the job she did because Carl was blown away. And the people who did I, I Love Lucy's Color, when you see the Christmas episode, they wanted it to be real. And real meant the walls were gray because that's how they did it for black and white photography. Mm -hmm. So on the Christmas show, you see four people in red Santa suits against a gray background. And it looks like they popped them in in green screen. This one, the hair Mary's hair color was very carefully done. The color of the furniture was period and carefully done. And we worked carefully on the color of the walls and how the brick behind them in the living room, the kitchen appliances... We found, you know, found the right color, a blue. We had a color picture. The kitchen was blue appliances and the table and chairs were orange. So we left the table and chairs orange. But on the Amana, whatever brand of stove it was, the logo on the stove was little diamond shapes, one red, one blue. And we blew it up and matched the colors of the logo to a, a picture, it was that detailed. How long does it generally take to colorize an, uh, a half-hour episode? Actually, you do a basic run of color, and the art, the color designer does most of it, and we tweak it. So mm. it's in the tweaking, and then it goes to India, where these gnomes with crayons have to color every single frame. And wow. that takes, you know, a matter of months. But the hard part is getting the still frames for each scene and where the lighting changes right. Do you get any pushback? Because I know there are a lot of purists out there who hate colorization. So what kind of attitudes do you get from audiences? Very little pushback. Uh, because, as I keep saying, this is not Citizen Kane. It's a television show. <laughs> um, what I'm more picky about is the show has to run in 4.3, not widescreen. And that includes the streaming. It's in the contract. And for television, they can't blow it up. Most shows are blown up. And that's fine on Seinfeld. Never had a complaint on Seinfeld. It works fine. But with Dick, you lose the physical comedy at the top and bottom. Mm. that's the difference and that's just my preference and i did a test on danny thomas because i just started i a couple of years ago i started working on that show warner brothers had done transfers some years before and when you put up this 
it's not really, it's stretched. And the bottom, top and bottom is cut off. It just wasn't as good as seeing the original framing. Is there a holy grail for you? Is there a particular show you would love to release but have never been able to get the rights to? Yeah, there are a couple, but... I'm not going to talk the, about The them. thing is, <laughs> the rights to the stuff I can get are based on their that period in the 60s and 70s, because the 50s tapes you know, just aren't great. They're kinnies. It's a limited number of shows. Like There was a seminar at the Paley Center with all these showrunners, and I think his name is Steve something, the showrunner of Modern Family. The color drained from his face when he discovered that Carl Reiner owned the negatives. Marla Thomas owns the negatives to that girl, which I also represent. And that girl is now streaming, folks. Um, and it's on Antenna TV. Dick Van Dyke is on Me TV and streaming. There are very few where the artist owned it. Dick Van Dyke show is owned by Calvada Productions. That's Carl, Leonard, for Sheldon Leonard, Van Dyke, and Danny Thomas, Calvada. And as Sheldon, as, as uh, Carl often put it, it's the best $36,000 Danny ever spent. Because <laughs> that's what the pilot cost. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Paul, what would you like people to know about you or your work that I haven't asked about? Just that there's a lot of pleasure in doing it. And I'm able to do things for just for jollies, just for grins. Like on the color Dick Van Dyke shows, I use the original 1975 CBS presents this program in color. And that had to be approved by Rabbi Moonves, actually. Huh. Uh, it went that far up the food chain. And it makes me feel great because the announcer, the staff announcer on that, sounds a lot like the Dick Van Dyke announcer. It's great. And after the first one aired, one of the executives at CBS, a younger executive who's at the director level, said, Paul, I love that animation you did. Wow. No idea it was the real deal. When I did things for DVD that were from NBC, where the peacock was there, I used the peacock. And on some of the things I've done, I used the slate just because we had it. Smothers Brothers 102, take one. That gives me jollies to do that, my jollies. And CBS also let, they let me run the credits of Dick Van Dyke full screen. We took the picture of Dick. That's the back plate, colorized it and matched the color. We, the guys at the at Technicolor managed to duplicate the Desi filmed at Desi Lou, the exact script. And because of the nature of the show, it was the only thing on CBS in the last few years where a waiver was given. So there was no band on the screen and nothing plugged during the credits. Paul, one more question. What is the DVD business like today? Is there still a DVD business? Well, as we know, there's no Blockbuster. There's no video stores. There are DVDs available on Amazon. There are better prices for any DVD you want is on eBay. But my current work, I spent two years producing Robin Williams' Comic Genius. The bonus features are just incredible. I had access to everything. And other shows he did and award shows. And th last year we put out the best of share. 
And one of the things I was able to get is share singing the national anthem. The NFL gave me that with some other things that she had. And the current project is Flip Wilson, the best of Flip. All of them are at timelife.com. And really, Time Life is the last man standing on producing new DVDs. Well, Paul, we're going to have to wrap this up, but I want to thank you not only for doing the show, but for your work, because you're keeping my childhood alive, and I appreciate that. Well, thank you, and thanks for letting me be sliced and diced. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beat Dick Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 